everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ocean, Ocean Science, Science Radio. Radio. I'm Samantha Wishnack. And I'm Andrew Kornblatt. For this episode, we're going to be covering a rather serious topic. It is International Save the Vaquita Day. So we are doing our part to highlight the efforts of groups working on trying to save this species. My name is Matt Podolsky. I'm the president of Wide Lens, which is a nonprofit media production company. And I'm also producer on uh, this documentary film about the vaquita, Souls of the Vermilion Sea. My name is Dr. Barbara Taylor. I work for the Southwest Fisheries Science Center of NOAA Fisheries. I run the marine mammal genetics program there, but I'm a general marine conservation biologist, and I've concentrated on working on vaquita for the last 25 years, and so now it's uh, it's taking up much of my professional life. Matt, along with his partner Sean Vogel, work on raising awareness on the issues surrounding the disappearing vaquita population, while Barbara and the team she works with have been monitoring the population and working on methods to save them. Keep in mind that along with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, this represents only two of the many organizations working to save the vaquita including a recently announced partnership between the Leonardo DiCaprio Foundation and Mexican telecommunications billionaire Carlos Slim. But what exactly is a vaquita, you may be wondering? A vaquita is a small porpoise. Porpoises look a bit like killer whales more than they do like dolphins because they don't have a beak. But it's very small, about five feet long. Um, There's nothing like vaquitas. They're unique among the purposes. They have a beautiful black eye uh, makeup and black lip. These beautiful creatures inhabit the upper part of the Gulf of California and are unfortunately in pretty dire straits. When the species was first discovered in 1958, there was an estimated population of around four to 5,000, perhaps even more. But since then, the population has dropped off dramatically. We did a big survey in 2015 where we took a big ship out and we also used acoustic monitoring for the shallow areas where the ship can't go. And in 2015, there were about 60 vaquitas left. And we've been using acoustic monitoring to be able to detect the trend in abundance. And in 2016, we basically had about half as many vaquita echolocation clicks as we did the year before. And a year ago, had about 30 vaquitas. And we know that at least six vaquitas were found dead, um, killed in fishing nets since then. And that's probably uh, just a small proportion of the number that actually were killed. So we're anticipating that it will be bad news when we go out there and that we may have lost another half of the vaquitas since last summer. That means that the population for this entire species has gone from around 5,000 to around 30 or less. So what has been the cause of this severe decline in the population? Barbara and her team, being scientists, research the issue and believe that there can be little doubt. A number of years ago, my colleague Lorenzo Rojas Bracho and I, in the 1990s, looked at a number of alleged threats for vaquitas, including pollutants. This is where it gets interesting. It turns out they had some of the cleanest blubber of any marine mammals in the world. They live near a desert, so there wasn't a lot of agricultural runoff, and it didn't seem like starvation or poor reproduction rates were the issue. So it actually is killing the vaquita? We have no evidence of any threat other than gillnet. There have been 
least eight um, in the last two years that have been recovered from the sea shepherd found them floating dead at sea, but they, they died in gillnets, and again, they had full bellies of fish and thick blubber layers. The chilling answer is that the main threat to the vaquita population has been the use of gillnets for fishing. In other words, man. So what are gillnets? Gillnets are a type of net that fishermen use to catch a whole variety of fish and other seafood. It's one of the most common fishing practices globally. And, you know, the idea is that they set this net in the water. It hangs vertically in the water and it drifts with the currents. And, uh, you know, whatever animals uh, happen to swim through there and get entangled in the nets, they leave it for a set period of time, come and pull it up, and whatever gets entangled is, is the catch, right? But there's lots of issues with bycatch and gill nets. And the vaquita is, is just one of many marine mammal species that are affected by this bycatch issue related with gill nets. For a vaquita that become entangled, they can't come up to the surface and they drown. And because of these gill nets... We're not only going to lose our coastal dolphins and porpoises, we're also going to lose the large sharks, sea turtles. I mean, basically, these nets kill everything. They're not selective nets. The problem is that for the most part, gill net fishing is the most efficient and economically cost-effective means of catching fish for the fishermen of Baja. And for the local population that depended on subsistence fishing, it was literally a matter of survival. Matt and his team got to know the communities and stakeholders in this fight fairly well. So our, our organization, about two years ago, we started production on this feature-length documentary project and outreach campaign called Souls of the Vermilion Sea. So we've been spending a lot of time down in Mexico, in the upper Gulf of California, these past two years, sort of following a variety of characters, including fishermen, the vaquita biologists and experts who have been studying the species for 20 plus years, as well as a variety of other players uh, uh, that are involved in the community down there and are connected with this issue. As filming began, it seemed like there was some good news. Two years ago, when we first launched our project when we started shooting for this documentary, the Mexican government had just announced a two-year ban on the use of all gillnets within the range of the vaquita, right? This was applauded by the international conservation community, but as you might imagine, it was, you know, not very popular with the fishermen in the local community. One of the central tenants behind this blanket ban on the use of gillnets throughout the range of the vaquita was that this would provide the opportunity for alternative fishing methods to actually become economically viable because it no longer was even legal to use the gillnets. For a number of years leading up to the point where gillnets were banned in 2015, there was all this research effort in finding alternative ways to fish. Specifically, there was concerted effort to find alternative ways to fish for shrimp because the blue shrimp in this upper gulf is one of the most economically important harvests that they get in the upper gulf. Unfortunately, during the fishing season that immediately followed the ban on the use of gillnets, the agency that was responsible for issuing permits for fishing issued zero permits to any fishermen to use the alternative fishing gear that they had spent years developing. The government literally spent all this money and spent years and years of effort developing these alternative fishing methods and to have the agency um, tasked with issuing permits to the fishermen to not issue any permits for the alternative net systems immediately following the ban means that the government 
effectively shut down all fishing in the upper Gulf of California. Well, I've been a member of the recovery team for 20 years, and we've been working very hard for many years on trying to get the gillnets out of the water and trying to get the communities and the fisheries department to work on developing alternative gear so that people could make a living without driving species extinct. But that just hasn't happened. And of course, this Totoaba situation is completely out of control. The gill nets that are affecting the vaquita the most have been nets specifically designed to catch a specific fish, the Totoaba. Since vaquita are about the same size as the Totoaba, it's very easy for vaquita to become entangled in these nets. But Totoaba fishing itself is... Well, that Totoaba trade, that's an illegal trade. It's illegal to fish for the Totoaba. And the reason it's being fished, despite the fact that it's illegal, is because the swim bladder of the Totoaba is worth tens of thousands of dollars in China. So this is an illegal wildlife trade issue. And the people in China who are purchasing and consuming these Totoaba swim bladders, we see that group of people as sort of the other really important target group to reach with this message because these folks who are purchasing these Totoaba swim bladders almost certainly have no idea that they are indirectly causing the extinction of the vaquita on the other side of the world. Most people have no idea that this is going on. And, you know, if they realize that the largest threat to marine mammals in the world is gillnets, they might be willing to, say, insist on, on changing that practice and paying the bit more for their fish or shrimp dinner and being able to have a world that's full of dolphins and porpoises and sea turtles and sharks. We need to really acknowledge this issue with, with gill nets and take on some ownership of the people who are consuming the seafood to really insist on and pay for the extra effort that it takes to catch fish in a way that isn't as efficient as a gillnet. Perhaps the strangest part of this story is the fact that there are those in the community that think that the vaquita are mythological, made up. There are a lot of people in these communities that don't believe the vaquita even exists, despite the fact that this community is, is, lives right alongside the range for this unique species. That's been persistent through time that the vaquitas are, are mythical. And, of course, fishermen have been catching them in their nets since the 1940s at least. And it is difficult if you're not catching them in your nets. You really have to be looking for them. They're extraordinarily elusive. In fact, they move away from boats generally when boats come towards them. If you have engine noise on, they're a very shy animal and they move away from the boats. Plus, they're not like dolphins. They aren't showy. They don't jump around and splash and come in big groups. They're usually in singles and pairs, and they just roll slowly at the surface, and so they're hard to see. But nevertheless, they certainly have been out there and, and sadly coming into fishing villages dead with other catch for many years. Part of that is their behavior. Part of it is also that the water in the upper Gulf of California is extremely murky. You're right at the delta of the Colorado River, so there's a lot of sediment in the water, and then there's also really strong tides in the upper gulf. So that water is constantly moving around and just kicks up all of that sediment. If you dove into the natural habitat of the vaquita and tried to look at your feet, they would look invisible. All you would be able to see is murky waters. 
you only have about a three-foot range of vision in the waters of that area. In fact, the two years that Matt and his team had been working on this project, going out on the water and filming many days in a row, neither one have actually had a confirmed sighting of a vaquita. And this definitely doesn't help the mythological nature of the vaquita. There has actually never been captured an image that shows the entire body of a living vaquita. So the only images of the species that exist are either you know, photos of dead vaquita, in which you can see the entire body, dead vaquita that have been pulled up in gill nets, or the only images of living ones just show sort of the dorsal fin and the top of the head as they come up to take a breath, which normally they only come to the surface for you know, two or three seconds to get that breath, and then they're back down again. Their dwindling population also makes it easier to spread the they-don't-exist narrative. Well, of course, they've been getting more and more rare. So, you know, if you were talking to grandfathers, they would have remembered pulling up vaquitas in their nets. But now that we're down to the last tens of vaquitas and you have thousands of fishermen, yeah, most fishermen are not going to see a vaquita because they were killed by their fathers and their grandfathers. For people to sort of deny the existence of this animal at this point, you know, does seem a bit outrageous. And I think... You know, we do see a lot of people who, you know, it's difficult to know, like, is this something you really believe when you say that the, you don't believe the vaquita exists? Like, do you really believe that? Or is this an excuse that allows you to continue these harmful fishing practices? Matt's team has been working very hard to educate people on both the issues and their impacts on these seemingly mythological animals. And even though politically things seem to be going in the right direction, like making the gillnet ban permanent, there is still a lot of work to be done. Back to Barbara. We formed a group called the KETA CPR, which stands for Conservation, Protection, and Recovery. This group of 40 scientists from all over the world are mounting an enormous effort to try and capture as many vaquita as they can, as quickly as they can, in order to try and save the species. We'll be going out in October, and as we speak, the net pens and everything are being built in hopes that we can catch this elusive creature, and we're bringing all the expertise we can to bear on that um, because we just don't think that there's time to get things right in their environment with, with regard to gill nets before we will lose the species, which is going to be in the next couple of years. The hope is that vaquitas could be released back into the wild after a brief stint in human care so that their dangerous habitat becomes safe again as soon as possible. Well, initially, we're going to introduce them to uh, captive situations in a very soft manner by putting out some tuna pens that are used to keep tuna in the open ocean, sort of right out in vaquita habitat and see how they do in captivity. And then if they're doing well, building some sea pens that are attached to the, to the land close to San Felipe so we can move them there during the rough winter months. And, you know, going through many years of Akita conservation, um, I'm now working with people with completely different skill sets than I have in the past, engineers and veterinarians and people who've dealt with taking animals from the wild into captivity. And basically, they all say you have to learn from the animals first. It doesn't make sense to get too far down the planning 
because first of all, we don't know whether we can catch them, we don't know how they'll react to being caught, we don't know whether they'll learn to eat dead fish, and we don't know what kind of habitat will really make them happy. Everything is being based on other species of porpoise. We're we're having to, as they say, build the plane while it's in the air, and we'll take it step by step, and hopefully in a couple of years we'll be able to, to make a more satisfactory environment for them, but right now it's just uh, saving them from extinction. It's an important mission, and it won't be an easy one. Barbara and her team know that they need a light touch and that they have a lot of learning to do. So you have to learn, you know, how do they deal with predators? How do they catch their food? I mean, all those kinds of things you can only learn from the wild animals themselves. So they'll be doing a lot of teaching, and we'll be doing a lot of learning. And to Barbara, the long-term effects of these vital efforts could be far-reaching. I not only think about, you know, trying to save the Kita, but the importance of being able to have a success story to be able to save these other species. Because if we don't solve this problem with gillnets, if we don't have some positive examples where fishermen can make a living without driving species extinct, we're going to lose a bunch more species in, in the next decade. And what is next for Matt and his team? Most people still are unaware of the existence of this unique creature and obviously are unaware of the plight and, and this extinction crisis that it's facing. Um, so, I mean, just base level, like education and outreach, teaching people about what's going on, I think is a fundamental component to what we're trying to do. We're trying to use film as sort of the primary medium to convey this information. Um, we are ultimately working towards the production and release of a feature-length documentary. So what can people at home actually do about this issue? Well, it turns out there are a few things. People can donate to Matt and his team's project and their nonprofit production company, Wild Lens, so that they can continue the work that they're doing. And their short movie is available to view. Just search online for Souls of the Vermilion Sea. Matt and his team also hope that those who are in the Gulf communities, fishermen and their friends, talk about the issue and really look at their fishing practices. As for the illegal swim bladder trade, the hope is that increased awareness of the full impact of these purchases will help halt this rapid decline of the vaquita population. There is also the hope that the temporary capture of some of the few remaining individuals could help with their recovery as the area shifts towards less impactful fishing methods. And we hope that you, our listeners, will share the story of the vaquita with your friends and network. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Ocean Science Radio.